Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Charlton fans, to another episode of Brownie and Benji, a victorious episode this week after last night's 3-1 win against Lincoln at the Valley. It's me, Benji Nurek, your host, and I'm excited, as always, to be joined by Charlton Athletic legend Steve Brown. More than 240 appearances for the club, two promotions. You may have heard him last night on Valley Pass. How are you doing today, Brownie? Very well, Benji. Very well indeed. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing well. You know, I, I'm, I'm always excited to talk to you, so I'm doing very well right now. <laughs> but obviously, you know, we, we've got a couple of games to talk about. We'll get to the more fun one last night, the win against Lincoln. But let's quickly go back to Saturday, away at Accrington Stanley, 1-1 draw. We, 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 we were both there. It wasn't the greatest game to drive five and a half hours there and back for, but what were your overall thoughts? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was dreadful, wasn't it? Let's, let's not try and... <laughs> paint a picture that, that, that it was a good game in, in, in the flesh. It wasn't, particularly the first 20 minutes, I thought was one of the ugliest games I've seen in a long, long time. Mm. You know, Atkinson just not even trying to play, just balls direct, straight. Didn't care if they went out of play for goal kicks. Um, and actually, I thought Charlton started, I will say this, I thought they started quite positively. Mm. Washington had a very good chance with, with what turns out to be actually probably our best move of the game. <laughs> and it was in the first five or ten minutes and he cut inside after a lovely little bit of interchangeable play on the left-hand side and whipped a shot in, which I thought the keeper touched, but it was given a goal kick. But yeah, disappointing in terms of what we saw. But I think if you're... If you're on the coaching staff of that game, it's a game you can ill afford to lose and you know exactly what's coming your way. So you have to set up accordingly and then you hope that what by matching them physically and going toe-to-toe with them physically, you overpower them and a bit of quality comes out and that didn't actually happen in the end. Mm. Um, if anything, when we made the substitutions, I thought they got a little, a little bit stronger Mm-hmm. Uh, and they took the lead and it just it just made us a little bit disjointed unlike last night where the changes were magnificent I just mm-hmm. felt Saturday they didn't sort of they didn't do what Nigel was hoping they would do when he made the, the substitutions and we done well in the end to come out of that with a point um, but yeah as as football spectacles go oh. Benji that was that was a hard one to get through it's a bit like someone said in the car on the way home you know I was travelled up with Greg and Terry and, and and I can't remember who said it, but they just said that that reminded them of the Fleetwood game away earlier mm. in the season, which was equally as poor. And I was yeah. in the studio for that one, and you do get a completely different um, uh, perspective when you're watching a game on a television through a mm. camera's lens to actually being there live. You, it is different. They don't see all the stuff that goes on off the ball, which actually intrigues me. It's it's like sometimes at times when I commentate. You know, I can see things going on off the ball that supporters can't see. They see the long hoof forward and they've missed a lovely bit of movement off the ball, which could have paid dividends if we'd have played it the right way. And and, and, and tactics fascinate me both ways, from the away side to the home side and vice versa. So I can get caught up in stuff that actually the, 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 the viewer isn't seeing at all. Um, but sadly, I think Saturday's game, it didn't matter where you watched it from, what angle, television, in, in, in real time. It was just a, a bad watch, a bad game with poor conditions, not a great pitch, and a team that, that play a certain way that, that is difficult to combat at times. But mm. we did well in the end to come out with a point. They show, I will say that, Benji, they showed a little bit of character in the last mm. 10 minutes to 
to dig in and find an equaliser, um, which was which was a good sign. Um, mm. I've seen teams sort of go one nil down, substitutions come on, go one nil down, and that's that. Body language is poor, and they kind of mm. give up. That wasn't the case at all. They yeah. fought to the bitter end, and it was the last kick of the game that, that got us that 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 point. Could turn out to be a valuable point, couldn't it? Yeah, you you never know. It could still. It, it's going down to the wire. Yeah, I, uh, one of pretty much my only note that I wrote down for this uh, draw with Accrington was ugly game, and I think that sums <laughs> it up fairly well. And obviously, as you're saying, you know, it's it's interesting to see the sort of the general play as opposed to just what's happening on the ball. But uh, and obviously, supporters this season have been in a tough position where they can only see the camera angle because yeah. they obviously can't be in the grounds. But I don't think all you Charlton fans missed much by not being there Saturday. <laughs> I, I do think to an extent it showed a little bit where Charlton are missing because it's okay, I think, to match up Accrington like they did in that game. They went five at the back. They tried to, you know, out-physicality them and tried to beat them at their own game. And I don't think that in itself was a bad idea because Accrington are a very challenging team to play, especially on their own pitch, which was very rough and bumpy. Apparently the players told Adkins before the game that they didn't feel they could really pass out of the back because the pitch just wouldn't really allow it and so I don't think it was a terrible decision necessarily to to try to play them at their own game the issue is when a game is really tight when a game is really ugly and you need that little bit of quality you need that little bit of something special I'm not convinced that this Charlton squad necessarily has that and I mean we, we saw with the Peterborough game when they came to the valley a few weeks ago I thought they were pretty mediocre that day, Peterborough. I didn't think they were better than Charlton. I thought they were either equal or worse than Charlton. Yet they had Johnson Clark Harris, who has 30 League One goals this season, and he came up with a little bit of something. He turned a half chance into a goal, a little bit of something slightly special, and that was the difference in that game. And Charlton, I mean, obviously they don't have a 30-goal season striker right now. I, I think that is sort of in that game, we really saw what they were missing there, especially at least if Chucks isn't isn't on the pitch. I will say, obviously, uh, Charlton are needing Accrington to do them a favor this Sunday when they play Portsmouth, and I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, they're not an easy team to play against, and I think they'll cause anyone a little bit of un- a little bit of discomfort, and I think Portsmouth included on that final day of the season. Yeah, I, I think I think the you know, in terms of what you've just said, don't forget Peterborough had a front three that had scored 50-odd goals yeah. between it. So, although they had the 30-man goal, they had Schmodix as well, who mm-hmm. I think is a very clever football player, had, could have had a hat-trick on the day. I thought mm-hmm. I thought that spell in the first 20 minutes was terrific and he had a couple of great chances and and, and they had a couple second half, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, funny enough, out of your response there comes, you know, a, a, a thought process from me that we could have had a 30-goal-a-season man. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, someone needs to explain, I think, why Chucks and EK doesn't play regularly and, and is only playing as the substitute off the bench because he is a handful. You know, and I've watched games this year where he's come on, he's been not a handful. He's, he's just sort of disappeared into the background. But by and large, if you look at the goals he scored come off the mm-hmm. bench, if you look at how he's changed games, the, the AFC Wimbledon game I was at, Mm. When he came on, I think, 15, 10 minutes into the second half and literally changed the game mm. uh, with Johnny Williams. Um, and I look at that and, I, and, and it's, not, it's not in, you know, in any, for any other reason than just pure frustration, I think, that you want to see him out there playing mm. and starting. And I don't think anyone's had a, an explanation as to why. Why does he not start? Why does he just keep coming off the bench? You know, what, 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 is, what is the reason? Has he got some injury? Is he carrying something? Has he got 
I don't know. You know, is there something going on? Because mm. I find that one hard to explain. Mm. I find it hard when people say, you know, Chucks, why doesn't Chuck? I've had it, many supporters come up to me and say, why doesn't Chuck start? And I, ha- I have no answer. <laughs> I don't know why. You, you know, it's, I, I would like him to start. I think we look a much more threatening side when he's in it. And you saw with the first goal last night that the link up between Chucks, the header down to Stockley mm. in the half volley, no one else can provide that for Stockley. Mm. Miller can't come in on the left and cushion ahead of the Stockley. Gilby doesn't get in those positions often enough. He's normally running beyond Stockley, but he's not in the box already to head it, to cushion it to Stockley. And it made a massive difference. But I, it, mm. it frustrates me because I think Chucks has the ability to score 20 plus, 25. You know, if he's yeah. done what he's done off the bench this year and scored the goals he's scored, there is a chance. Stockley's coming in January and he's probably going to end up, I mean, is he nine goals or eight? I think he's eight goals at the moment. Yeah, but easily could have. I mean, he's missed a penalty and he could have, yeah. you know, he probably could have been 10, 12 by now. And if you have a full season, he might have got 20 plus as well. But that is frustrating. You're absolutely right. In a game where, you know, like I said to you before in previous podcasts, you know, over a period of time, we turned draws into wins because we had a strike force that could mm-hmm. win, you know, you know, even if it was one all or you were 2-1 down, there was always a chance you thought in the back of your brain, we've got two strikers plus goals from the wide areas, goals from midfield, we can win this 3-2. And that makes a massive difference on the mentality and the approach. You never, ever give up. When you're struggling to score goals and your top scorer was one year, I remember Alan Pardew was top scorer from midfield with nine. Wow. You know, that's a struggle. You go 1-0 down, you go 2-0 down, you're kind of in your... You don't mean to, but there must be something in the back of your brain that's saying... Going to be a struggle now. We don't have the strikers really to get us out of this one. So, um, in that respect, I, I do agree that those top sides all have a major threat, don't they? You look at that team last night. He left out two of his better goal scorers. Yeah. Left left them on the bench. Mm. Left two 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 two. One of the goal scorers actually we were trying to get a stat. And Greg Stubbley gave me a stat before the game that one their top scorer had scored ten penalties. Oh wow! So although he was on, yeah 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 yeah. Although he was on 11, 12, 13 goals or something, 10 were penalties. Wow. And uh, we, was, we was sort of giggling about trying to get that stat out. But you can't really get it out until he scores or, or, gets a penalty. or there's a penalty. <laughs> yeah, or there's a penalty. So, um, so we're having a bit of a giggle about that one. But um, yeah, I, I do agree to some, to some extent that in those games, mm. we just maybe, particularly on Saturday, lacked that spark, didn't we? Mm. That player that can pick it up sort of 40, 50 yards from goal, beat one, beat two, and then slide a ball in down the side of a centre-half that gets you that goal. Mm. Um, yeah, or, uh, you know, or we just don't see it enough. But that was, I, I, I will say, they are very, very difficult games to play in. Yeah. Very difficult. I don't think supporters quite understand. It's easy from a, when you're sat in a stand and you've never had to encounter a team that plays like that and you're away and it's blowing a gale and the pitch is bobbly and no one wants to take a touch and then you're scared to make a mistake because of the position we find ourselves in the mm-hmm. season where we, we can ill afford to lose um, and it just leads to a really ugly game. And, it, mm-hmm. and it, you know, no, no, it's not sitting here criticising that. It's just how it unfolded. It unfolded mm-hmm. into a really ugly, horrible game. Yeah, and I don't think you'll have many disagreeing with that, players, managers, staff, etc., supporters. Obviously, last night against Lincoln, the first half, again, 
struggled a bit for a spark, Charlton, going forward. I don't think they were bad, and obviously Lincoln are a good team, but they still were struggling to create much of anything. I think there were a total of two shots combined between both teams in the first half. And then obviously at halftime, on comes Chuck Sanike. Charlton immediately have a wonderful sort of 12-minute spell where they score three times. And it does, you know, it, it once again brings up the question, as you mentioned, of Chuck Sanike. Should he be starting why isn't he starting? I mean, it's, it's, it, both Bowyer and Adkins have spoken about fitness issues as sort of a, a sort of general issue with Chuck Sanike, saying that his fitness doesn't allow for him to play 90 minutes, but we haven't really ever gotten exact clarity on what that means. Is it his muscles in general? Is it a numerous muscular injuries? Is it one reoccurring injury? Is it, is it his stamina? We, we've never really been told the exact issue. So it is, I think, very hard for supporters and, and for ourselves to sort of understand why is he not starting? Because you look at that last night performance, and obviously Chucks is a danger off the bench when defenses are a little bit tired. But you look at that performance last night and on Saturday when he scored the equalizer, even though he wasn't quite as dominant, he still came on and scored the equalizer. And Charlton are looking so much more dangerous with him on the pitch. He's scored 16 goals despite starting, I think, 11 games this season, which is quite absurd, 101 minutes per goal. He's also had 72 shots this season for Charlton. And the next closest is Jaden Stockley with 33. So he's getting into those positions. He's getting opportunities at a much higher rate than any other player in this Charlton squad. I mean, you could just see the Lincoln defense last night when he came on. They went from feeling very comfortable to suddenly being scared out of their mind. And you do you do wonder where would this team be with Chuck Sanike starting every game if that is a possibility. You know, if, if he was to stay fit and start every game, where would this, this team be? Especially, I mean, we saw it at the Rochdale away a couple of months ago, this Chuck Sanike and Jaden Stockley partnership. It seems like teams really can't handle it. And it, it makes a lot of sense because obviously Stockley is a handful on his own. He's a huge physical presence. He plays deep and then Chuck Sanike is the, is the type of striker despite being big and physical he doesn't necessarily want to be winning headers and then flicking the ball on that's not as much as game he wants to be getting the ball and causing mayhem by running at defenders and it worked incredibly well him and Stockley alongside each other they seem to uh, influence each other very well they seem to combine with each other very well and it it does leave you wondering where this team would be if Chuck Sanike had started more games this season yeah and it's a tough one to answer because mm. You know, you have to assume because of the goal ratio he has, because of how games have changed when he's come on, that he would have been a major threat. But I'm I'm not really a fan of if, buts and maybes. It's like yeah. when people say, if we'd have scored the penalty Oxford, we'd be in the playoffs. So, you know, and if we'd have scored the penalty against, uh, was it Crew? Crew. We, we missed a penalty. Uh, we missed a penalty at home recently. Stop, stop we missed Peterborough. it. Peterborough, sorry, and and they say if we'd have scored those two, but if you if you went to Oxford mm. and you asked Portsmouth how many points they could have had on top of the yeah. points accumulation, they've missed penalties, they've had sendings off of cost them, they've had, mm-hmm. so it's a very difficult one. Plus, we've pinched a goal late at Accrington, which means we got a point more than we should have had, mm-hmm. and, and so over the course of a season, it all evens out. You can't. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't ever like going. Oh well, he missed that chance and he missed that penalty because. Every club in the division, we'll including guys down in the relegation zone, will have lost points, you know, five to ten points through things that shouldn't have, have happened. Or, mm. Yeah, so it's it's one of those ones where where I, I absolutely believe we would have been a much more threatening side with him in it. Mm. And he would have worked very well with Jaden Stockley. 
Uh, I thought we looked much better in terms of our shape behind the ball when we went 4-4. And it was effectively 4-4-2. But one of those strikers was always dropping in to take their deepest line central midfielder. So it's basically a 4-4-1-1, which is a setup I really like. But as long as it's got two strikers in it, Mm-hmm. And as long as those strikers are willing to turn that deepest role, you know, they take turns in, in, in who drops in. Uh, and I quite like that system because it allows the midfield to know exactly what its role is. There's no three midfielders. Just There's a lot of grey areas when you have three midfielders. If their movement's not good, they can take up each other's space. They can run into, into a space they shouldn't. You know, you have two dropping at the same time. You have two going forward at the same time into the back line, which is which is why I thought our first-half performance actually last night wasn't quite where it should have been because we dropped off to receive. And then, like we've said many times this year, Benji, we've commented on it before, you see one of the midfielders going to the front line, you see one drop into the back line and the other one. And there's this huge gap in the centre of the pitch yep. where we desperately need to make an extra pass or two to mm. give the... Players in front of the ball time to make their runs, to make an adjustment, to then move an opponent around. And we don't. We have one in the front line, maybe two. You know, Gilby runs into the front line, Forster Kasky joins him, and Watson drops in the back line. And you've got no midfielder to come. The two wide players were very, very rigid. They didn't come inside at all, really, to receive. Mm. Um, and that's why I think we had a bit of a sticky first 45. When you went to the 4 4 1 1, Everybody knew their role, particularly out of possession. Out of possession, mm. we were very disciplined behind the ball. We blocked up central areas. We didn't allow a Lincoln to play through us. And then when we won possession, we were having that extra pass. Whether that was into the striker that had dropped deep, whether it was up to Stockley and back and then out wide, Miller suddenly became a much more threatening player in that second 45 because um, you, you know he, he held wide left, but he got a lot more service. Because we, everybody just seemed to understand that formation a lot better than when we played a 4-3-3. Um, I like Martinson going back to left back. I thought Perrington didn't attack enough last night. And that that is one thing that Martinson will give you. He likes to get tight on 1v1s and he will attack quickly. There's other things in his game that you have to forfeit. They're not so strong. But those two things were strong. Mm. You know, he does well. So I quite like that manoeuvre. You know, because I didn't think Perrington gave us anything going forward in that first 45 minutes. So there was lots of things that went on last night that were, in terms of second half, that were absolutely mm. terrific. And it's such a shame, actually. You have to look at it from that perspective. That it's such a shame that Chucks is clearly carrying something. You know, whatever it is, he's got something, whether it's a, a mental blockage about an injury that he sustained and he doesn't think he's quite over it whether the medical team are telling him that he can't play 90 minutes because I don't know why. I'd love to have somebody come out and say, listen, Chucks, I'm sure someone will at the end of the season, maybe, I don't know. But I don't understand the secrecy behind it all. Mm. You know, We all sit here scratching our heads going, he should be playing mm. and he's not. And why isn't he? And all it does is it raises more questions. It, it, it gives people an opportunity to sort of point fingers and say, look, what's going on? Why, yep. why, is, that, why is this happening? Um, but yeah, you you have to make the assumption, Benji, that would be a much stronger side if he was playing regularly in it. But he's not, so no. you have to make do with what you have behind that. And then the best scenario is that he comes on for 30, 35, 40 minutes and does what he does last mm-hmm. night. He came at half time, obviously, and 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 it did make a massive difference. Mm, absolutely, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame. It, it really is. And as you said, there must be a reason because anyone can see that the team is more dangerous when he plays or at least when he comes on. And 
the players that he plays with are more dangerous. I mean, you mentioned Liam Miller there. I think he got more service, but also Chuck Sanike is drawing two defenders towards him. So Liam Miller suddenly, now they can't focus two or three defenders on him because they have to worry about Chuck Sanike. Jaden Stockley, when he had Chucks playing close to him, he looked so much more dangerous than he did in the first half. And it just seemed like Chucks' arrival helped all the players around him. And that, that, as you said, it's a shame. It's a shame that we haven't been able to see him more because he has been so fantastic so many times when he has played. An, an interesting thing last night, and obviously it's a huge shame, Jake Forster Kasky going off injured in the 38th minute. You hope, you really hope that that's not the end of his season. He's out of contract in the summer. You really hope that's not the end of his Charlton career, obviously. Well, only time will tell on that front. Um, but Albie Morgan came on, and he played in a, a deeper midfield position than he's played pretty much throughout his professional career and throughout his youth career, where he's normally been an attacking midfielder or he's played wide on the right under Adkins and under Bowyer, or he played wide on sort of the right of a diamond. But he came in last night, played in a deeper midfield two alongside Ben Watson. And to be honest, I thought he did a very good job. He was passing the ball quick. He was releasing the ball quickly. He was getting Charlton moving. And even in just the, well, it ended up being 15 minutes before halftime when he came on because there were eight minutes of first half stoppage time due to Forster Kasky's injury as well as the referee's injury. And in those 15 minutes or so, he, he touched the ball 20 times. He had 18 passes. So they were all pretty much one-touch passes. And even if he wasn't passing the ball forward, it felt like he was getting Charlton moving quicker. Yeah, I I think he's one of the players um, that can consider himself a little bit unlucky. He hasn't got more minutes on the pitch. Whenever I've seen him play, he's uh, for me he's done well. You know, he's he's certainly not. Uh, he's never come off the pitch, and I've gone. Uh, I don't know why he gets the game, or he really struggled today. He normally comes into the side and does a shift and does really well. We know he works hard. He's got great energy. Um, I identified Elby actually in an under-18 game once. I scouted okay. him for Stoke City and he got a very favourable report, but it didn't get to the point where I had to do his, you know, the due diligence on the background checks and what his mm-hmm. home life was like. What, you know, and then you, you try and dig into what he, you know, how he approaches training and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Didn't get that far, but he was the outstanding player in the under-18s that night that I went. I backed it up with a report a few months later. Might have even been the following season. And he's a player that you certainly know has got good quality. Mm-hmm. I think if, if you take what Nigel has said, and if you take what Lee Bowyer has said, he is definitely a player that you hope over the next 24 months becomes the player we all, all expect him to be. Mm-hmm. Right? But he's going to need to, to learn and take on board what everyone's saying because it's no coincidence that two managers back-to-back are saying the same thing. Yeah. Right now, this is what I mean about how complex a player is. You can be talented, but if you don't pick up on what people are saying around you, if you ignore that, if you think you're above that, if you think they're wrong and you're right and you can just drift through, eventually you'll end up going backwards. But mm-hmm. I just hope, because I do like him, he's got great energy, he's got good football ability, I think he's got a good football brain. You know, a ball dropped down to him last night, Benji tried to hit a 60-yard diagonal on the volley, half volley, out to Liam Miller, and it wasn't far out. It mm-hmm. wasn't far out. And actually, what, what that tells me is, he's scanning, he's got good awareness, he knows where people are before the ball comes to him, and I like to see that. You know, he, he, he doesn't shirk a tackle when he used to go into a 50-50, he's in there. Mm. Um, as you've seen, he's quite happy to do the right-hand side of midfield shift if you want him to. 
Mm. He, he, you know, in, in the um, youth team, he was an attacking midfielder. Last night, we saw him in a slightly deeper role in a two, let's remember. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in a three, it was in a two next to yep. Ben Watson, who doesn't get around as well as he used to. Mm-hmm. So he's covering an awful lot of ground. But interestingly, I read a clip today that he needs to learn and understand more defensively. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing that you would say is that runners do run off and he has to get better at that. Mm-hmm. But I, I look at him and think that is somebody that if Charlton continue to develop him over the next 24 months mm. and he gets more minutes on the pitch and he gets good coaching from Yuli, from Johnny, from Nigel. Mm. Uh, the senior players keep him in check. And what I mean by that is if he gets above his station, if he gets, if he does something wrong that they know that he's been coached to do differently, mm. give him a nudge, tell him that's not what they want. I think you could have a very good player on your hands. Mm. You know, but it's, again, we've seen players at this stage go one way or another you know it can go either way and it's it is really ultimately up to Elby to grab mm. what what a great opportunity he has to become a regular starter for Charlton he, I believe he can go on to become a regular starter for Charlton if he develops over the next two years as you'd expect him to he's certainly got the talent mm, absolutely and talking to people from the the academy it sounds like everyone kind of believes in his attitude as well. They believe that he has the right attitude to develop. And I think, you know, it's easy to forget with someone like Albie Morgan because he's been around actually for a while. He played even in the promotion season under Bowyer. He, he's still only 21 years old. He's played 56 games for Charlton, but he's still only 21 years old. And he, while he has much more to learn, he still actually has the time to learn it. And it's, it's obviously one thing if you're not committing yourself to actually learning. But I feel like even though he's still got any you know, that, that same sort of he needs to improve defensively from his new manager. I think he's a better player now than he was at the start of the season. I think it sounds like behind the scenes, he's been working very hard on his fitness, on his defensive game, and he's got time to get there. And, I, and, and there's enough reason to believe that he will. And I think, you know, in part, some of the sort of criticism from Bowyer, which some fans may have deemed harsh, I think it's in part because there so clearly is a player there. You know, there so clearly is a player with a very high ceiling with Albie Morgan. And so I guess it may have come a little bit from a place of frustration for Bowyer that he wants to see him get to the next level. And he feels like these are his weaknesses. And he so desperately, you know, wants him to improve those weaknesses because he feels like he would have a very good player on his hands if he did. But I, I do think, you know, there's reason for optimism that next season it'll it'll be a new team Albie Morgan will most likely be at the club his contract runs I believe until 2023 so his contract will still be continuing and you would hope the next season is 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 the season where he could push on and at least become a semi-regular starter if not a regular starter yeah I I, I actually agree with with what you said there about I I thought Lee was a little harsh on LB and actually I thought it showed in LB's body language sometimes that he was a little bit fearful Mm -hmm. of of Lee and a little bit I think he held back a little bit in his performances because he he was a little bit fearful of what was coming his way I do think that's changed I see a little change in his body language I think he's more upbeat Mm. you know he looks much more energetic he looks more sprightly Um, and, and I'm not I'm not saying for one moment, you know, that Lee was overly harsh, but there are ways and means of dealing with people. And I think Albie looks like to me someone that, that he will, Nigel will benefit him because he's an arm around the shoulder manager. Yep. He's, he's, he can say you need to improve this way, but he'll put his arm around his, his, his shoulder and he'll perhaps try and coach him to, to do better and tell his coaches to make sure they spend time with Albie. Lee was very much, 
I'm telling you this is what it is. Go and improve it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm telling you that's what you need, I don't need to show you. I don't need to put my arm around your shoulder. I've told you. Get on with it. Yeah. And I think LB is probably somebody that needs the arm around the shoulder and needs that little bit of, well, a little bit of love, if you like, from his manager. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not sure he got that under Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I and I think Lee, I think Lee showed actually when you when you've been a top top quality midfielder and played at the top. I think we said this before. When you've played at the top end of the pyramid, sometimes you get so frustrated when you see things. I, yeah. I'm the same with centre halves from time to time, Benji. When you think, what are you doing? You know, um, and and you know they've been coached not to do that, but they do it anyway. It's extremely frustrating. It's just how many times you want to tell that player, how many times you want yeah. to show him, how many times you pull him aside. And we don't get to see that. We mm. don't get to see how many times a coach has told him or how many times a Lee Bowie has told him. And in the end, you might just see the frustrated bit in an yeah. interview. And, um, and we don't get to see that. But I, like I said, I, I expect him, as in LB Morgan, to, to flourish. Whether that's starting every week, I think that may be a bit of a stretch next year. Uh-huh. But he, he, he could potentially do what Jake Forster-Kasky has done this year. If he got a run in the side and impressed, he could then go on and have a really good stretch in the team. But there always comes that sink or swim moment. You know, you get that opportunity and you have to just stay above water and learn to swim with good performances. He's certainly got it in the locker. I hope it happens because I, yeah, everyone loves to see a Charlton player come through the ranks and play 200 league games. And then we wish them well after that. If they go on, they progress because we haven't done quite as well as we should. Um, no worries. Um, but hopefully you progress with the club like like mm-hmm. quite a few of us did back in those, those, those like mid, mid to late 90s. Yeah, yeah. But there was, I mean, the, the conveyor belt of players that have done that is not just the 90s era. There was before mm-hmm. me, Scott Minto, Gordon Watson, Jason Lee, you know, Paul Bacon. Uh, they all they all went on to have careers. Our era went on to have careers. Then you've got the Paul Koncheski, Scott Parkers after. You know, it's it's been a long run of, of a conveyor belt of which LB Morgan, we hope, is another one that goes on to play. You know, if he's played 50-odd games already at 21, that's, that is more than I thought. So that is an excellent start to your career, but you've got to go and turn that into 150, 250. Yeah. I've told you before, Keith, P- Keith Peacock called me once and I must have got above my station. Uh, and I was very early on in my career, and he basically said, "You're not even a pro, really, in my eyes." Until you played over a hundred games, and, <laughs> and 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 he would say the same to LB Morgan: "You're 50 in, you've done terrific, but you're not. You're still very wet behind the ears as, in terms of a professional career. So keep mm-hmm. going, but come back to me when you played 150, and I'll have a little bit more respect for your sort of thing." It was one of those <laughs> conversations, um, and I'd say the same to LB: "Keep your nut down, work your socks off." And when you get the opportunity, just keep doing what you're doing. I thought I thought it was a brilliant performance from him when he came on. And it's not easy to do, Benji, coming off yeah. the bench and after half an hour and getting up to the speed of the game that quickly and, and putting in a performance he did. It was excellent. And, of course, replacing Jake Forster-Kasky, who's almost certainly going to be the player of the season. And, you know, I think, I think Albie's been put in a slightly difficult position this season and under Bowyer in general because he's the kind of player that I think – flourishes with a little bit of freedom you know he wants to try things he wants to see if that pass will work and maybe it won't work but he wants to try that 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 thing that pass he wants to try that that little ball that that might split a defense open but also might give the ball away and it did seem like under Bowyer he was a little bit afraid to make mistakes and I think if you're afraid to make mistakes then you become afraid to try things you just go with the safe option and I think if you're afraid to try something if you're afraid to try that thing that might not work then you're taking a lot away from Albie Morgan because I 
think that really is his, his game. He wants to sort of be trying to open up defenses and be doing something that's a little bit special. And it did seem like that was getting lost ever so slightly under Bowyer. But now he's, he's got a manager that you would feel, as you said, you would feel is the right kind of personality for him on a, on a personal level. And obviously every player has different types of motivation, but it does seem like the arm around the shoulder will be perfect for Albie Morgan. And as you said, a very good performance last night and a very good win. And while it might be too little too late, it does put pressure on the other teams coming coming Sunday. Yeah, and, and like you said previously, you've got Accrington who can pitch up and be ugly and horrible and stop you playing and cause an upset. Mm. And you've got Burton who have showed incredible form. Mm. Uh, you know, everyone going, oh, Oxford at home to Burton, you know, or Oxford. No, I'm not sure that's a done deal either. You know, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's made a lot of changes there. There'll be a lot of players vying for contracts next season. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not sorted out. Mm. Um, he'll be looking to go there and finish the season strongly. Um, so there is a possibility that that, that 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 could end up a couple of draws, you know. But we've got our own issues. We've got a tough side coming to town. I saw they were partying hard yesterday. I think I saw a photo of them in the dressing room partying hard. And I, I almost put, you know, carry that on for another 48 hours, chaps. You know, have a good time. Because... Yeah, I, 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 their managers are sort of feather. I don't think will rest four or five players. Lincoln rested three or four players last yeah. night with the playoffs very much in mind. I'm not so sure Hull will. I think he'll, I think he'll play a strong side. Mm. But it's a tough game, and and in in these situations, Benji, I tend to shy away from what the other two are doing, and just concentrate. We have to win the game, mm. so concentrate on that. How are we going to beat Hull? You know, um, in in terms of what have I got available? You know, you can't really call what they're going to do because they are in a position where they can leave four or five yeah. if they want. I'd guess that would be frowned upon by Portsmouth, by Oxford. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's some emails been exchanged by those, those clubs over the last 24 hours. You know, be very disappointed if you made five changes at Charlton on Saturday. You know, I'm sure there's been some conversations between the clubs because... If you were Charlton, you'd be saying the same thing, wouldn't you? If you were sat in Portsmouth seat, if you were sat in Oxford seat, you'd be making sure you might input something out on Twitter, wouldn't you? As, a, as an official, you know, no, they because you just you you need them to come down because mm. if Hull beat us, you know, it's just between two. Mm. Whereas at the moment they're they're still worrying a little bit about us mm-hmm. in terms of what we can put on the board if we were to beat Hull and they both drew and they're not. Mm. I mean. There are harder games in the league than Aquinton and Burton, but they're two sides that, that can cause upsets. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, not, it's certainly not done and dusted. But yeah, I tend to just focus on us and make sure that we do what we're, uh, or what we're in control of, and that's putting the three points on the board against Hull. Mm. No, it, it, it's interesting. Also, uh, Nigel Atkins, of course, is the f- former Hull, Hull boss. He, he helped them to survive in the championship, which was a bit of an achievement at the time. So I think he's regarded quite highly there still. Grant McCann, was the, the Hull manager, was played under Nigel Atkins at Scunthorpe. So there are some connections between Atkins and Hull. Not that I'm saying that'll cause them to rest their entire team and try to give Charlton the game. But, you know, maybe they'll do Atkins a little bit of a favor. No, I, I, I think they'll probably put out a You, ne- you never know. You never know, obviously. You never know, Benji. You never you do. know. You do never know. And then, you know, crazier things have happened in football. I think, obviously, the, the big difference between Hull and Lincoln is that Lincoln kind of felt they needed to rest players because they have big games coming up, games that are much bigger than the one last night because they are in the playoffs, whereas Hull have no games – 
for the next two months, three months until their championship season starts. So they might feel, you know what, there's no point resting anybody. We're not resting anybody for any reason. But I do think you're, you're absolutely right in that Charlton can only focus on getting the job done. If they take their eye off the ball, holler a good enough team that they'll punish them. And then it doesn't matter what the other two teams do. They, they, could, they could lose 5 nil each. And it makes no difference if Charlton don't get a result against Hull and don't, probably don't beat them. But it, it is on that topic, on the last day of the season, you know, where all these permutations are sort of flowing around everyone's head. We did get an interesting question from Ed Martin on Twitter, and I think this is a good time to bring it in. He said he'd be, he'd be interested to know if you, Brownie, had any memories of being in games where sort of the there are other scores played out in the league that matter to you, where you're either being fed information about those games or you're trying to find out any, anything like that. No, I, I think the only thing that was is comparable uh, in, in terms of what Ed's asking is is we took our first time we got promoted, we took that to the wire to the last game. We were, we were in the relegation zone, um, but Southampton had to win, right? And if they didn't win, that did open the door for us to, to step through and stay up with a result. And we had Sheffield Wednesday at home. I've never been told a result okay. on the pitch. Right, and I've never known a manager ever come in and tell us the results elsewhere. Not that I can remember. But what you are fully aware is, and it's happened a few times, that there's that this atmosphere goes around the ground. <laughs> there's yeah. this noise. Someone has said, you know, Sheffield, Southampton are losing. For argument's sake, they didn't actually. They won comfortably, so it was immaterial what we did, and we lost anyway. But the fact of the matter is, you can hear this this excitement goes right round the ground. It starts in one spot and it just it's like a snowball effect and it just goes right round the ground and you know you can tell from the groans or you can tell from the cheers what mm-hmm. way that goal's gone. And that excites you a little bit because when it's in your favour, you guess that the that the results are going your way. And it, and it and it does give you a little buzz if your game's situated that you you can still win it or you you're in front or you know but I've, like I said, I've never actually sat in the dressing room and a manager come in and gone, you know, Portsmouth are losing 2-0 and Oxford are losing 1-0. So, you know, because you're trying to win the game anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of immaterial what their results are. Your job on Saturday or Sunday in this case is clear. You yeah. have to win. But it brings a smile to my face because it's happened a few times where that buzz goes around the ground. It's quiet. There's not a lot going on. And then suddenly there's a buzz around 30,000 people. And it, make, it, does, it does change your, you know, you, you, you might even say to a player on the, on the pitch, you know, that must be a goal to, you know, the opposition, we, the goal we needed. So come on. But it's, it's not something that, you know, I've ever known used in a dressing room, uh, mm-hmm. you know, giving scores of other games out. I don't see what benefit it is. You're trying to win anyway. Yeah, and I guess anything to take the focus off of the game is never really a good thing because you want the players to be 100% focused. Do you, by any chance, remember any of those occasions where you heard the buzz or just kind of remember that it happened? Yeah, that, that, no, I don't, no, I remember it happening. And it's, it's happened on a few occasions. It'll be, it'll be normally when we're challenging for playoffs or... Mm-hmm. You know, but but I definitely remember that last game. A few whispers. There was a full score once as well. It came through that the opposite, the result we needed, was in our favour, and it actually wasn't. It had gone the other way. Oh, so no. it was a false. It was a false. Uh, you know, uh, high spirited 
uh, you know, reaction in the stands. And actually, it, it, it turns out it went the other way. Uh, I, I do believe that was the Southampton game. I think they thought that Southampton had gone behind to Everton. I think it was Everton. And actually, they'd gone in front. So what went round the ground was not correct anyway. But yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just, I just know it. I don't remember the exact games, Ben. Do you know what I'm like? I'm not very good <laughs> at recalling games, but I know it's happened a few times. And and that buzz is quite. It's different than a normal cheer. It's different. It's mm-hmm. it starts off as a hush in a corner, and a whisper, and then it just grows, and then there's some cheers, and then you know, it's it's a weird thing. Mm. And it, it, like I said, it's it's something. It doesn't happen often, if mm. I'm honest. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I think I said this to you before. I think we as now sitting here as you know talking about football and supporters that go every week, mm. we think a lot more goes on than actually does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I should know better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been sat there myself hundreds of times, and you know. The thought processes you go through are a lot more, are a lot simpler than what we imagine goes on. Yeah, no, that, I think, uh, you know, we spend so much time analyzing and we spend so much time thinking deeply about it because as people who are passionate about watching football and obviously fans who are passionate about their team, they spend almost every waking moment, it seems at times, thinking about their team, thinking about the different permutations, thinking about uh, the upcoming game, whereas players, obviously, their focus is slightly different. Their focus is on training, doing as good of a job as they can, playing, doing as good a job as they can, then going home, then coming back to training. So I think at times, fans and and people like myself who are who are journalists i think we can t- overthink things ever so slightly because yeah. we spend so much time thinking but you know the, yeah. these final days they are weird you know weird things happen on these final days players or or teams it seems at times they can start to get a little bit nervous things start to not go your way and and maybe you start to get a little bit worried these are the kinds of occasions these these final days where weird things happen yeah, and I think it's down to this is where you learn the most about the characters within your team. Because if you play 43 league games and, uh, you know, you just turn it one out after the other, one out after the other, you go along, you win, you lose, you draw, et cetera, et cetera. Ultimately, when you're in the, the hunt, whether you're second and you're fighting to stay second, third te- the team in third position is hunting you down, whether that's your. Um, you know whether you're just outside the playoffs trying to get in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the generally it's the last two, three, four games that are the crunch games, um, and that's when you find out the most about the characters you've got in the team, the leaders you've got within the team. Whether you've got people that are a bit soft and they can't handle pressure, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's it's at the back end of the year is when you find out the most about about the players that you have. Um, and weirdly, you know, you look at that performance last night, it tells you that maybe there was a confidence about the team when it had two up front, when it had the physical presence. You know, maybe that, you know, and I understand that that's not possible to do that every game for whatever reason that we spoke about. Chucks, he just doesn't start and he has to come off the bench. But, I mean, it was so chalk and cheese the first 45 to the second 45. Maybe the goal gave them confidence. Maybe the change put into up front is what they want, is how the team wants to be playing. You know, and they're not comfortable in the 4-3-3. They just don't have the players to accommodate that and they're stronger in that 4-4-2. And if that's, although in saying that, you know, Washington started Saturday, it was a a different game. 
completely yeah. different game actually so you can't compare it's, it's apples and oranges it's you can't compare the games but yeah i it, it it's 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 like now it's now it's the the crunch games for me were not so, the crew was the crunch game for me yeah. and and I'm not saying we bottled it because I don't think we did. I think there was an energy factor to there. It's like we gave everything in the previous games to get to that point where we were in the hunt. And then it was almost like we just hit the proverbial brick wall. Yep. And we just didn't have it in the locker to do what we needed to do. And and those kinds of teams, the ones that have smaller, more technical players with good movement, they cause us the most problems, I think. And uh, And it was just a shame that we decide to pull that performance out at that particular time but I, I'm not going to say that he learnt a lot about his team in terms of character and uh, you know because when it was the crunch time we lost because they they proven up at Sunderland bang what a performance mm-hmm. 2-1 great Plymouth away 6-0 brilliant bang mm-hmm. you know and I just think it was just unfortunate that we picked one of our worst performances at a time when we really needed a result but I don't think we it was a character thing. I don't think we bottled that. I just think we just we run out of legs. We literally had no energy. No, I I'd, I'd agree with you, and I, and, I, and I do think to an extent, you know, the best teams they find a way to to sort of get over that. Not not, not that you can necessarily get over tiredness, but you can stay in a game and then maybe have a great striker who pulls something out of nothing, and you win it one nil despite being maybe second best and being tired. And I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's harsh or untrue to suggest that Charlton this season probably don't quite have enough quality. You know, they've, they've got a lot of players mm-hmm. who I think, I, think, I think most of the squad is happy to work hard. I don't think, I, I mean, I did maybe question it a little bit after the 3-0 defeat to Blackpool. But as a whole throughout the season, I find it pretty hard to question the team's efforts and, and how hard they've worked mm-hmm. because I really do think they've given all they can. I just think, you know, there's, there's a little bit of quality lacking at times and that it's hard to fault the players for that because if they're just not quite good enough then they're just not quite good enough yeah I think if you go back to the season we lost to Shrewsbury in the playoffs I think I think you'll find a lot of people from outside the group said the same thing mm-hmm. within the group they have to stay confident within the group that's that, that's together down at the valley at the moment they have to stay together and they have to make sure that they believe but from outside the group I think what we all said about the team that lost to Shrewsbury was it was almost there but it wasn't quite good enough Mm. and it's the same as I mean if you think about oh I know I know we go on about it a lot and we're not the only people to 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 talk about it but if you go back to the changeover of ownership came a little bit too late yep could have well done with that taking place a month or two earlier that would have given Steve Gallen and his crew and the manager at the time Lee oh yeah a bit more uh you know time to find the right cogs for the wheel and and Mm -hmm. and it was rushed Uh, and and you know things have been said to me that you know that would lead me to believe that you know there were targets that they they just weren't going to get because of how late it was yeah because of you know because of and even in January you know they tried their best but they were behind the eight ball if you like Mm. You know, and, and I'm hoping that now everybody's seen what Thomas Sangard has done. I'm hoping that agents, players, you know, they look at Charlton now and they go, actually, now's a great time to join Charlton. Whereas last year, you could understand if you was a player, if I was a player sat at home and my agent phoned me up and said, Charlton, come in for you. And I've been reading all the stuff that have gone on with Southall and ESI and 
the, the vultures trying to pick the club apart and wages weren't getting paid and I'd have gone, I'm not sure I fancy there, mate, if I'm honest. You know, what, yeah. what's the alternative? You know, and, and what's the alternative? Uh, and, and the trouble is, there's always players available that, that will go because it's the, the scenario going to Charlton is better than the scenario they're in. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you had carte blanche, if you were sat there with a couple of options, I'm not sure Charlton would have been, an, a, 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 you know, a, a particularly good option mm. or it would have been worrying to a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having watched what they've been through, so you've got that, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping the mentality of the football world uh, has changed somewhat towards Charlton, having watched Thomas Sangard develop what he's developed, and I hope Steve Gallen can sit down now with agents and go, you know, we haven't got the cap, we can offer your player a little bit more. Don't take the Mickey, but we can offer him this to come down to League One and play next season, and just look what our owner's doing, you know, mm-hmm. and and I'm hoping that that can attract. Uh, the, the players that, that that they want to get in, you know, and, and Nigel wants to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but by the same token, you know, they have had, well, we will have had, I don't know how many games we will have had from when he came in, Nigel, to the end, but let's say 15, is it? Maybe 10 16, only. 18? 10 if they ten, he's only had 10 games. Yeah, only 10. Crikey. Well, at least he's had 10 to assess the current squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll know after... Sunday's game, what league, or certainly, you know, he might have an idea. If it doesn't go on our way, we're definitely back in League One. In that respect, he'll have a longer period mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of um, post-season. So he can then sit down with Steve, he can sit down with Thomas, they can thrash out a budget um, and, and they can actually start talking to targets mm. and that's the that's an exciting that's the exciting part for me if i was a charlton athletic fan and i had been for 50 years and i'd seen what the club's gone through in the last five to, to six seven eight years mm. i'd actually you know and of course we all want to go up benji don't get me wrong we all want to see a promotion we love a promotion and i love i'd love for nigel to get into the playoffs and get charlton up um but 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 ultimately i'm i'm excited about the next year and you know 12 24 months because there is a building job that's going on there is a process to go through um and we might not get the targets we want this summer and that's that's another thing that i don't think supports quite understand they think new owner money charlton athletic why wouldn't you come to charlton athletic you know when it's when it's right it's buzzing but people don't and you might not get the targets you want Mm. You know, but there's going to be an expectation level on Charlton next year. There's going to be expectation Definitely. around the ground. Fans are going to be back. There's going to be an expectation level on Nigel and and, and the players mm. that we're going to be in the hunt from day one because we have this owner who's backing the manager. Yeah. Um, but it's it's as you well know, and I've said it many times, it's not quite that simple. <laughs> never has been. Never will be. No. But at least we're in a position where we can negotiate and go after the players that we want. And I don't think that was the case last year. I think we got what was over, what people were trying to offload, Mm -hmm. right? And we had to take what we could get. And that's no disrespect to the players that have come. If You know, it's it's not. That was just a scenario, you know? And I think the players would be a little bit naive if they didn't think Charlton, with money and time, you know, had other targets. They will have had. Um, And these players... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but these players have got us into position. We're within striking distance with a game to go. So you have to give credit for that. And, the, you know, what is it? We won loss in 13? 14, 14, I think. 
Right, so one loss in 14, and you might go one loss in 15 and not make the playoffs. Yeah. You know, which is, you know, quite an incredible thing to, to have at the end of the season. One loss in 15 and we're not going to make the playoffs. But, you know, we, we're in with a shout. Mm. And, and that's all I think we could have asked for, certainly after the Accrington result, is just give yourself a chance to be in with a shout. We've done that and let's see how it goes. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And it, it at least will make for something to, to believe in until Sunday. You know, people, uh, we, the season isn't quite over yet. And I think the longer the season continues, the more exciting, obviously, it is for fans. And just even having the season alive on Sunday for actually the fourth season in a row, Charlton will have something to play for on the final day, which is quite an impressive, quite an exciting thing, to be honest, because most teams, they'll find that their seasons peter out at some point, or at least quite a few teams. And, and so that is exciting. And, you know, whatever happens, as you said, there should be excitement and there should be optimism for the future because Charlton haven't had a chance to build for years now. I mean, under Duchatelet, they didn't have a chance to build. And then obviously last summer, they didn't have a chance to build. And now they really do. And obviously it is going to be a big rebuilding job because a lot of players are out of contract. There are a lot of needs within the squad. But finally, for the first time in years, they actually can build. And so I think, you know, it might be another season of League One. Obviously, that's the that's the the the, the likelihood at this point. But there's there's reason for genuine excitement, and that couldn't always be said, and not least last season. So I do think, you know, they're they're they're, they're it's, it's an attractive place for players to come. I would think, especially um, young League One players or, or 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 players who might think, you know, this team could get to the championship next season. I think there's there's scope for real growth over the summer, and that that really is exciting. Um, we will have to wrap up relatively soon. Before we do, I just want to give a congratulations to Charlton's under-18s team who were crowned Professional Development League 2 South champions. And obviously, we all want to see the academy do well. They work, the, the coaches, the players, they all work so hard in the academy setup. And so to, to get some recognition for that is fantastic. And hopefully, you know, next season and in the coming seasons, we'll see more players breaking through from the academy because I think it's not really Charlton without that. No, 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 no. And Char- I've, I've said it before, Charlton has, has been renowned, not, not just in its current form, but mm. I go back to Colin Clark in the late 80s, early 90s, who was an outstanding youth team coach, uh, got many, many players through into the first team. That then carried on in, into the 90s, mid-90s, late 90s. Uh, and... and, and Academies tend to go in cycles, Benji. You get a period where you get a lot through, then you'll have a, a down period where you don't get so many through, and then it'll come roaring back, and you'll have a period where you get five or six through into the first team again. Charlton's has always had a conveyor belt. We've always managed to produce players, and some players have, have gone on to play for England, played in the Premier League. You know, so it's 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 always been, I think, an academy that people have looked looked at from afar and gone. They do ever so well. We're in a, we're in a very tough catchment area. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the one good, there's, there's a downside to it and there's an upside to it. The downside is you get a lot of um, category one Premier League clubs that release a lot of kids that we can pick up and develop. Not quite ready for the Arsenal. They're not quite ready for the well, Fulham's in this case, the Tottenham's. And they come down to Charlton and we give them a little bit more time, a little bit more love. Uh, and we've not got the numbers they've got. And so therefore we can produce that type of player. We also are in, a, in an area, South London, where there's a lot of boys playing football. Yep. So, you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very good catchment area, but it's tough because you're up against the Category 1s with big names, right? But you're also a very good academy 
that's produced over a long period that has a good reputation. So uh, in terms of, I think we won the Southeast Counties Cup when I was there, which was fantastic. Um, and it's great that the under-18s have won something, but unfortunately, I'm not putting it down on it by any stretch of imagination, but you're not judged by what you win. Unfortunately, as an under-18 coach, you are judged by what you get through to the first team. Yeah. Um, and and that will always be the case, sadly. But it's great that they've won something because that's great for the players within the structure. Because I honestly believe learning to win, certainly under-18s, is a, a value you must have. You must understand the importance of sport and competition. And you don't enter a sports field in a team to, to, to lose, ultimately. You know, you're not making up numbers here. You're making a living. It's a business. And that business needs to win to be successful. And it's a real big part of, of, of your character and your makeup is the drive and desire not to lose football matches. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes, we're producing an all-round kid who wants, you know, we want him to be lovely. We want him to be fair. We want him to be competitive. Ultimately, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And it's about winning. Yep. All right, all the other stuff that goes with it. And, and it's another thing that I think happens with time. You know, the, the, the things that we want to talk about within academy football sometimes, you know, we want to cover everything. And ultimately, it boils down to the kid being good enough, mm. taking on board what the coaches say, developing in the right manner and having that winning driver mentality when he comes out of the youth team and goes into the 23s. Because one thing I can tell you is nobody gives you anything in the football industry. You have to earn it mm. and you have to have that drive and desire. And there'll be dark days. There'll be days when you're on your own and you feel like no one cares, you know, you <laughs> And you have to drive forward by yourself. And that's very important that that's instilled. Uh, that winning mentality, you know, and that drive and desire within the individual. to Because you will have to make sacrifices. When all your mates are going out at the weekend, you're mm-hmm. not. You know, when all your mates are saying, come down the pub, you can't. Um, and, 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 and it's fantastic they've gone on and won the league. But I look forward to the next under-18 player that progresses through and into the first team. That's, that's where... That's where you know they're doing a great job. And they have done a great job. I mean, you, the list is endless. I mean, we, there's too many to name. But, you, you know, go back to Konza, Shelby, Konza, Gomez at Liverpool, won a Premier League title. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, the list is endless. And they've done a fantastic job. And they will continue to do a fantastic mm-hmm. job. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully more. I mean, there will be more in the future. We know the Charlton Academy is not done producing players, and hopefully, we'll we'll be we'll see a few more in the first team soon enough. Um, I do have a question from Tony here, Big Tone, who asked us a question last week as well. Always big get tones in it from him. Unfortunately, yeah, Big Tone's back. He's back, and, and I always <laughs> like his questions. Although, admittedly, I had a tough time trying to figure out where to actually place his question today because there wasn't a natural segue. So we're just going to add it on here. He asked, who was the best and worst referee you have come across playing, if you can remember them? And would, would, would you do anything, or was there anything you could do to influence the referee? And then thirdly, do you have any funny referee stories? Oh, I am not. What do you think my answer is? My answer is I'm not I'm very good at names of referees. No, obviously I got sent off on the stretcher with Mike Dean. Um, and as it turns out, I thought he was spot on and he got that decision correct. But Mike Dean's hard work. I've, that's mm-hmm. one of the people. Like if, you, if I can remember your name as a referee, you're either very, very good or you're an absolute nause. 
and and unfortunately Mike Dean stands out because he's very controversial and I've been at games commentating where I've gone he's going to send someone off here because he's got that demeanour about him he's looking like I need to be centre of attention here and it's a terrible thing because I don't know the fella but when I saw him dancing in the stand at Tranmere once as a supporter, even that was calculated. Even that was look at me, look at me. Mm. And so Mike Dean would be one where I sit here going, I have commentated on games where I've gone, he is absolutely going to make himself the focus of attention here with a, with a decision, whatever that decision is. And then boom, within 20 minutes, he sent someone off mm. and it's been a terrible sending off. And you just go, why does controversy follow him around? Why is it always Mike Dean that's at the centre of attention? So he's one where you think, you know, it's it's he it just sets himself up to be criticised, unfortunately. In terms of the best, yeah, I mean, it, again, what you say about referees, the good ones are just not noticed. Yeah. That's that's the best thing you can say about a referee. I thought the, the I thought the referee that came on last night, as considering you've you've turned up at the valley thinking, oh, I can pick my nails tonight, fourth official. Got to hold a board up at half time, maybe a couple in the second half for substitutions, and then I'm off home again. And he's been thrust into a quite important game, mm. <laughs> you know. And I thought he did very, very well. He played a couple of very good advantages. He could have sent off their left back. He could have sent off Chucks. We haven't even talked about that. True. About Chucks getting, you know, just what are you doing, sunshine? You know, that was one of those moments. What on earth is your brain telling you to do? You're on a booking. No worries, you took one for the team chasing back. I wouldn't have touched him either. We were three nil up at the time, but he's you know done an honest job, chased back, brought him down, book him. Within ten minutes, he's actually kicked the back of someone's yeah. calves and should have been and should have been sent off, Benji. You know, that's just crazy. But I thought that referee came on last night and did very, very well. You know, considering like mm-hmm. I said, he's turned up, you know, thinking he's got nothing to do other than just, you know, keep keep two benches. Up. Keep two benches in their technical area and hold the board up. Yeah, um, but no, I'm I'm not I'm not great at, 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 at whether referees are good or bad. I just know that if you don't notice them, they're doing a good job. Um, in terms of can you get into them? Of course, that is part of the game. Chatting to a referee, telling him he owes us one, telling him you got that wrong, you didn't touch him, you know, and all that, and you're constantly barracking him. I do feel sorry for referees because I know what's being said out on the pitch. And they do not get left alone. I don't know if that's changed, but certainly, you know, Curbs would say to us, get after him nice and early, get him on side, get him to think he owes you a decision, you know, and, and you do. You get into a guy, you know, you do get into him and you're always trying to leave something in their subconscious that helps you later on in the game, mm. you know, and, and, and that is very, very true. Um, in, in terms of, uh, in in terms of things that I I mean the the one thing I I've not got anything particularly funny about referees but I've got stories that used to used to wind me up like you can't believe was when you'd be playing against Liverpool Man United Arsenal you know and you'd be you know they were full on games for us we had to go all eleven men all at a hundred percent all getting nine out of tens and we may scrape something out of the game right and you've got a referee trotting around in the middle going. And he would say to Stephen Gerrard, calm that down, Stevie. Calm that down, Stevie. You know, relax, Stevie. And then it would be, oi, number 12, come here. And that used to wind me up like you can't believe. So they pretended to be best friends with all the big names in the game. You know, oh, calm that down, Robbie Fowler. You know, calm it down, Fowles. And you're just number 12, number eight, number seven. Come here, what a word. 
and the way they spoke to you and the way they spoke to the big players was totally and utterly unacceptable. It used to really wow. used to make me want to clean the player out. Oh, I'm at, I'm at, yeah, you know, and 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 that that I think must have changed because you just shouldn't go around mm. as an impartial referee in the centre of the pitch, you know, with stars in your eyes about the big players. I get it. They're fantastic England players who have got reputations. But when you're competing against teams and you're putting everything in and you're just you're just a number to them and they and they pretend they're on a first name basis with the big stars, that used to be infuriating, I have to be honest. You know, you're on a level playing field, you're all in the Premier League, you're all trying to get results, and they was you know, and you just wondered when they're calling them by their name, are you doing them a favour as well? Are they getting little decisions that we're not because you think you're a mate to them? And it used to really wind me up, as you can uh, tell. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. I would find that an unbelievably frustrating. It's just, as you said, the referee, their whole job is to be impartial and, and to be sort of the fair, put out the, the fairness in the game. And that is showing clear, if, if not favoritism with decisions, it's at least showing clear sort of favoritism in the way, you know, they, they, they want the, the big players to, to sort of feel like they like them, which is naturally one would think is going to affect their decisions. And even if it's not you, you on the opposition team already probably being biased because you're, you're obviously going to be a little bit biased towards your own team. You're going to be thinking they're going to be giving the other team extra decisions because you naturally would think that. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, I mean, and then when they do give a decision that's completely unfair, you just think this is this is absolute horse poo, you know. And and I didn't want to swear. <laughs> <laughs> not sure we're allowed to swear on these or not, but yeah, it, it yeah, it just 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 very frustrating, you know. I I mean, a guy, funny enough, whose name's just come to mind, a guy called Mark Halsey, did 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 me a favour for my testimonial year. Came in and, and and did a chat. He was a nice fella, and he's gone through a rough time. Got, mm. got dogs abuse as a referee, his wife's been ill, he's mm. had to retire now actually, but he was a nice fella and he was extremely fair. He was always on the money. So there's a referee that I quite like and that's from a personal point of view. Mm. But yeah, the, I, I think the best ones are the ones that are seen and not heard. Yeah. They're just, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, and, and it's a tough job, Benji. I will say that. I wouldn't do it. And they say, why don't ex-pros become referees? Because they just wouldn't stomach what goes on on a pitch. Mm. They, they'd end up, I mean, you'd end up swearing at players. Gets up. That's nonsense. Stop screaming. You know, you just would. Because you're an ex-player, you know what they're trying to do. And, you, you know, it'd be very, very difficult. And you wouldn't want to take the abuse that comes your mm. way. It's horrendous. Yeah. Horrendous. You know, if it's from social media, from fans, because they made a wrong decision, whether it's from players on the pitch. I just... Don't know who would want to become a referee. No, it, it doesn't seem like the most fun job at all. I was I was commenting to to someone last night that Jaden Stockley's job to me oftentimes doesn't look that fun. Although he looks like he's loving it every time he goes up for another header, but the job of the referee really, really seems yeah. not very fun at all. But uh, I mean, someone I guess has got to do it, and I guess there are there are perks to it. And if you love football and want to be involved in the game somehow, it is a way to be involved. But it isn't for me. I don't think I would have the heart to stand all that kind of abuse. But they, 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 interestingly enough, we're going to finish on a this week in Brownie's career because we have to finish on a this week in Brownie's career. I know the last couple of weeks I've sort of found 
quite weak ones that you haven't quite remembered. But this time, I'm very confident you're going to remember it. I, I even told you before we started recording that I'm pretty confident you're going to remember it. I'm now going to reveal it. It also kind of revolves around a referee's decision. But on this week, however many years ago, I, I, I think it was uh, 99. I, I feel like I've forgotten slightly now the year. But you went in goal against Aston Villa in a 4-3 oh. win for Charlton. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that very, very well. It gets rehashed and played a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I often wonder, actually, just taking that incident to one side, I often wonder if I actually started out to be a goalkeeper. Because I was, I was all right, Benji, I was yeah, actually I mean, all right. You know, you don't, get, you don't get your own goalkeeping shirt. You don't go in goal half a dozen times. It, and I've started two games. I started a reserve match and I started a youth team match in goal. You know, so... I just wonder if I had actually converted to keeper at a young enough age whether I could have made a career out of it. I think I could have done. Mm. And obviously what comes with that is longevity. You know, you, you, your career can go on to 35, 40, mm -hmm. you know, if you look after yourself. I perhaps wouldn't have got the cruciate injury I got making the challenge I got, you know. Mm -hmm. And you do often, sadly, you, you reflect on it and go, I wonder if I've missed a trip there and perhaps could have had a career in goal. Um, I was certainly mad enough and brave enough to do it, which a lot of keepers are. But, yeah, I, it, look, it's a fond memory. That is one you can never forget. And uh, I remember I remember him going, I remember Andy Patterson coming out of his goal, racing out. I think it was um, Joachim, mm. I think, that he smashed into. And I just, I swore. I went, oh, you know, swore. And, uh, and, and, and Curbs goes into a little huddle with Mervyn Day there's no decision to make. It's me going on. It's, it's, it's who you bring off. And I can't remember who we bought off, but I run on. And the first thing I had to do was make the save from the free kick, which made it even better. Uh, you know, I wasn't the best in a kit. So my kit was hanging out. You know, <laughs> like, like I said, I got described as a flying jumble sale by Mick Collins in, a, uh, you know, in, in the papers the following week. But I actually didn't mind doing it, Benji, either. A lot of, you know, I didn't mind going in. You know, and I, I knew I could make the saves. I knew I was comfortable taking crosses. I knew I had a good strike off the deck. You could actually come back to me, you know, long before sweeper keepers. You could. You could come back to me and I'd be confident enough to, 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 to control and pass out. I had a decent strike off the deck, so it could go 60, 70 yards into your opponent's half if you wanted it to. And I was confident in the other aspects. What, 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 what you don't like is that you're very aware that if you make that one error, mm -hmm. there's there's no one backing you up. Yeah, it's going through your legs. You're not getting there. It's it's a goal, um, and you're very aware of that. And 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 you're very conscious that a mistake mm. is going to you know one one mistake is going to cost the team dearly. Mm. Um, thankfully, I didn't I didn't actually in all the games I went in goal I didn't actually have any horror moments. It was all pretty good. It's fantastic. And I mean, when, when you're running on the pitch there, I'd say against Aston Villa, for example, but obviously you did it a number of times. Are you excited to be going in goal? Are you nervous? What, 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 do, you, what do you think was going through your mind as, as you're heading on to be keeper? Yeah, you, you, you're not excited. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, not, you're not going on going, oh, this is lovely. I can't wait to get in goal and potentially mess it up for everyone. You go on nervous 100%. As soon as the challenge comes in, the nerves kick in. You get you you get changed. Um, goalkeeper. I had my own goalkeeper shirt, so I had number twelve as a goalkeeper shirt, number twelve as a, an outfield shirt. I slotted the goalkeeper shirt on, 
and you're certainly running on and, and you're fully aware. It, so for that Aston Villa game, which is mm-hmm. the one that you've referenced to, I'm fully aware I've got to put a wall up in place. Now, that's not something, you know, I'm only putting a wall up in place based on what I've seen on telly, based on what <laughs> we do in training. I've never, I, I don't, don't think I'm ever in goal in training, lining up walls, going where the free kicks it. And I've got a goalkeeper coach telling me, well, you want really that player there and that player there and you line it up with this. I roughly knew how a wall went together and where you lined it up. But it's all guesswork, you know. It's only learning. It's only listening and hearing and learning from experience you've had on the training ground. When when we've defended free kicks as a team, you know, they, when they've been set up on the training ground, this is what we need, want you to do on Saturday. Should they get a free kick here? Um, so you go on, and I'm very well, you know, in terms of how many you want in the wall, you know, <laughs> I'll have three. That'll do three, three, and you put your eight, three game. Then you know, you want it tight and compact. But yeah. So you, you're, you're just, you're nervous, Benji. You're not excited. You're nervous and you're worried that always in the back of your head, certainly mine, I can't speak for other players because everybody's different. And we, we, we touched on psychology last week and it's such a, a broad field uh, that you can't, I can't cover it. I'm, I'm not, I, I can't cover psychology. I just know what I did and I know what I needed. And, and always in the back of my head, unfortunately, whether I was playing outfield or in goal, was not it was always the fear of making mistakes mm. that was my but that was my one big setback you know was was that I, I hated making mistakes you know and it was a fear and so what you want when you're running on is not to be the keeper that lets it through his legs you yeah. know he's not to be the one that you know tries to pass a ball out to the fullback it gets intercepted and they score mm. you know so that's the things I lived off the fear of that and based my game around not putting myself in positions where I, I could be uh, not the laughing stock. That's the wrong, but you know, put myself mm-hmm. under the microscope to be yeah. criticised over something that I could control. I could do something about. If if, my, if I lost my mark when he scored, it happens. You know, it's it's fine. Mm. But those those things where you make un, I, I I mentioned it in comments last night about unforced errors. Right, there was an awful amount of unforced errors, and what I mean by unforced errors is passes that aren't difficult that should make the that should they should be made and they're not when there's a defender coming on the shoulder on the left shoulder of a player and the ball should be delivered right side but it gets delivered left and the defender comes through the back of the centre forward that's an unforced error it shouldn't happen players are good enough and aware enough of what a safe side passes and you see it time and time again and those those are the things that I prided myself on those mm-hmm. basic fundamentals with it that, that, that you can control I can make a 10-yard pass. It's quite simple. 20 yards even should be hitting the target. Anything where you get into 30, 40, there's an element of risk because of the distance it travels, the strike you've got to make. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the amount, of, the amount of unforced errors you see in a game. And if you just think about the 10 outfield players tidying that up by 5% each, you know, if they can just make, if they make 10 poor passes, you know, if they can tidy it up by 5%, 10%, suddenly you've got another 15, 20 passes that are hitting the target across a game. It makes a massive difference, and then you know, I just uh, it baffles me how players don't work that out for themselves. You know, it's it's a strange one, but yeah, no, it, it, it's lovely to be reminded of things like that. It was a long time ago now, and uh, and it's great that it gets. Uh, I think my Arsenal goal gets a little bit of play. The Bradford goal gets played again and again, and my keeper exploits get played again and again. And it, you know what, for a lad that just grew up. 
you know, in, in, in the southeast corner of the country who didn't think he was ever going to be a Premier League player. It's, it's lovely when you get to my age and there are things where, you know, people like yourself remind me and mm. Twitter reminds me. And that is, that, is the, that is the one big benefit of social media. There's lots of benefits, lots of downsides, as we know, but there's lots of benefits as well. Things I see on social media from the past, I've had photographs sent to me, actually, Benji, through Twitter that I've kept that I've never seen before. Wow. You know, that, that side of things, brilliant. Love it. Mm-hmm. And, and you reminded me of stuff like that. You know, it's fantastic. And it's, it's a blessing, isn't it? It's, you know, it's yeah. one of those things where uh, you, we can all grumble about the negativity at times, but there's a lot of positivity there if you mm-hmm. want to grab it. And, uh, and that's certainly one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad I could bring you one this week that you remember and that you have such such fond memories of. Just just lastly, before we close out, you, you, you spoke obviously about being nervous coming onto the pitch, which makes a lot of sense. You're putting yourself in a slightly uncomfortable position, even if you were a good goalie, which you obviously were. When that full-time whistle goes and you've just played half an hour in goal or whatever it was and, and Charlton have won 4-3, how are you feeling at that point? Can you even describe that? Yeah, it's immaterial what I've just done, actually. So, again, I was very much a player that um, it was all based around where the team's at, what the team's doing. And that day we had to be, very similar to last night's game, we had to beat Villa or we were down. Mm. And I don't think I'd ever won at Villa before, or certainly I don't think I've been at Villa before, certainly haven't won at Villa since. Mm. It's not a place that, 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 that Charlton do well at, I don't think. So to win that game 4-3, and it was, a, it was a humdinger of a game. You know, it was a cracking game. Uh, and, and, and your immediate thoughts are, we're safe for another week. We've given ourselves a chance. As it turns out, we lost at home to Sheffield Wednesday, Southampton won, and we went down, which I actually think, you don't know this at the time, was actually a bit of a blessing because we kept the squad together, we added to it, and we became a much stronger squad, mm. and we were more um, equipped to deal with Premier League football the second time we went up. Um, yeah, but you, you you know you don't want to get relegated. But in this in this case, knowing what we know now, it was a bit of a blessing mm. because um, you know, like I said, you don't know how much the momentum, the confidence um, you got from the from winning the championship. You know, if you fight a relegation battle in the Premier League, you've not you've been battered most weeks. You know, is there a hangover from that? Whereas we went down and won most weeks and there's a momentum shift. You go in back into the Premier League, you suddenly you're in a much better place in terms of morale, confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and like I said, you've become used to winning almost every other week. Well, I think we won about 28, 29 games out of 46. So, you know, in, in that respect that sits well in the back of your brain going into mm-hmm. the next Premier League campaign and you know you're stronger. You've, you, you, you've signed more players over that summer period to make you mm-hmm. even stronger. And it's no coincidence. We then went on to finish, you know, in a decent position, I think, that second year we were up. Yeah. So yeah. There's, there's, there's that side of it as well. But yeah, all you think about when that final whistle goes, is funny enough, is, is the result. When you get back on the bus and you're driving home, that's when you think, Christ, I've just gone and go at Aston Villa. <laughs> and we've won and we've won and then you get home and, you, and your wife or your family go to you we didn't go today yeah 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 yeah. popped in goal last half like last 20 minutes they go bloody hell you know and it all sinks in the day after you know and, and then your my dad a phone up and go oh just said you want to tell you when he goal didn't you <laughs> yeah yeah I had, to go, I had to go and go dad yeah 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 
<laughs> so you know, about about three or four later, three or four days later, it all dies down because you're on to the next game. Yeah, you know. But for that for that three or four days, it's quite exciting when you've done something good like that. You mm. know, you get the recognition. People phone you up. It's quite out of the blue. Mm. In terms of you don't see many outfielders go in and make saves. So yeah, and and you feel good about yourself. But then there's always something comes along, Benji, that knocks you back. Knocks you back. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to be the way that it goes, but. <laughs> That uh, that is that is the life of football. Unfortunately, there's there's the yeah, good, is, yeah. and then almost immediately there's the bad, and then it seems like almost immediately again there's the good, <laughs> and then it'll be followed again by the bad. But on um, that note, I think that's where we'll probably have to wrap up today. Thank you, Charlton fans, all for listening. We will be back at least for one one more next week. Um, we'll we'll figure out what the plan is after that, but hopefully Charlton will be in the playoffs and we'll have a few more weeks at the very least. But regardless, thank you all so much for listening. This has been Brownie and Benji. I'm Benji. I've been joined by Brownie. Thank you again. Till next time. Yeah, take care, everyone. <laughs>